Hello and welcome back to Tversky Tuesdays. I'm your host, Hanani Abraham. We are recording episode 27. Uh, last week, we were going through compassionate parenting and how to be a mindful parent. I just want to pay a little bit of attention for a second and go back to the study that Dr. Tversky quoted from Bowden and Zeiss. Uh, talking about the the benefit of the family meals and how that can can prevent teen problems, fantastic study, highly recommend. Uh, you could go on uh, EBSCOhost to try to find the the study yourself. I'll try to see if I can post a link for it on the bottom, inside the description of this podcast, and I'll even see if I can post the actual uh, the actual study itself. But the study how it can be applied nowadays. Uh, was something that was asked a lot in the comments for this week. And just to put it simply, I'll keep it very simple for right now, and maybe this is something we can get into more on a deeper level at a later episode. The concept that the study is talking about is the quality of time spent with our children and how beneficial that can be as opposed to the quantity that a person is doing. Um, I have a mentor of mine, um, his name is uh, Rabbi uh, Mordechai Finkelman, who has had a very, very busy life, especially over the past couple of years, becoming very popular, being asked to speak around America and around the world, and having a few kids of his own, um, was asked a question of how how do you go about making sure that we have that you have a good relationship with, with your kids and you give them what, what's needed. And what he said, similar to something that's been, been talked about a lot recently and how the people that have reported doing very well through the pandemic at home is knowing what to give that child. And he said, you know, from a simple spending a few minutes on a Sunday morning and taking them to the bakery and buying them a Danish for $1.25, he actually said it about 85 cents, but I think nowadays, I don't know if you could get a Danish anymore for 85 cents anywhere. But the concept of just going to bakery, getting something to eat, driving him off to school, that itself goes so far of just having that quality connection to your child and make sure that there's opportunity to have one at a time. And each child should have a sense of I have my parent or parents' full attention during this time. And the study talks about the, the, the concept of, well, when this study actually um, was coming out, while there were cell phones in 97, the concept of us being fully engrossed in our lives being on our cell phones was not as nearly as much as it is now 25 years later. So... Nowadays, to put down the phones and just to be able to have a meal without any interruptions is basically what the study is talking about and how far that can go. Um, the great Simon Sinek talks about how when he and his friends would go out to eat, everyone would put their phone in the middle of the table. And the first person to pick up their phone had to pick up the tab for the meal. Now, I know nowadays a lot of people are not going out to eat. And maybe that's a very steep price to pay. But maybe even if someone takes their phone, even if they're going to the bathroom or going out to the car or something, 
they have to pay for the full tip to make it simple. Or they have to pay the extra few dollars to, if you're rounding out the bill and splitting it up evenly. The concept of, you know what, I'm fully here and I am showing you that my cell phone is not going to be a hindrance. I'm not going to look under the table. I'm not going to feel my pocket because I know where it is. And I know I'm not paying attention to that. I'm paying attention to you and how far that goes. I know I've seen personally in my practice as a, as a therapist, you know, what brings you here? How can I be of assistance to you for, for new clients? And simply I'm getting so much recently of, I, I just, I need someone to talk to. I need to be able to get off what's on my chest because I haven't had the opportunity. I haven't gone out to eat or I haven't gone out to see friends and be social. And I need to see people. Having that opportunity just to talk and giving full concentration to that person is so important and so needed in so many different ways. But right now, especially for what we're going through, and hopefully as time goes on, we'll be able to see more of each other. But I felt it was important to go over that study um, and just talk about the, po- the, the, the concepts of being able to have full concentration on your child or children, not speaking to them while being on a laptop and sending emails, but just being able to be there with them. That brings about a self-fulfilled happiness and therefore will carry over onto our children. So continuing here, um, the concept we're talking about is on page 76. We're talking about compassionate marriage. Our culture is awash with love, from soap operas to movies to a plethora of magazines and and books. Love is a dominant theme. Yet we are told that more than half of all marriages today end in divorce. Something is clearly wrong. Why do so many marriages fail, resulting in misery for both spouses and profound emotional trauma for their children? The emotional wreckage resulting from divorce is alarming. And the, and the statistics that one out of three children in the United States live in a single-parent home does not bode well for the mental health of our society. Perhaps this anecdote sheds some light. Rav Mendel of Tukotsk once came across a young man who was obviously enjoying a dish of fish. Why are you eating the fish? asked the rabbi. The young man answered, because I love fish. And so, because you love this fish, you took it out of the water, killed it, and cooked it? I dare say that that's a very strange kind of love. You see, young man, said the rabbi, you say you love the fish, but the truth is, is that you really do not love the fish at all. It is yourself that you love. And because the taste of the, fl- of the fish pleases your palate, you killed it to satisfy your appetite. I think this story is probably set over in plethora of different ways between different sages or rabbis or clergymen or parents that might be the one that the story is, is talked about. But I think the concept of why do we do things? If we really, really, really love someone, what would we do for them? How would we go about loving the fish or loving our car or loving some other item? If we really, really loved it, would we do something with it or would we hide it in a certain way? What often passes for quote-unquote love is modern society 
that is very often fish love. I like that phrase. When two people fall in love, in quotations, it is usually because the man sees in the woman someone he feels can provide for his physical and emotional needs. And she sees in the man someone she thinks can provide for her physical and emotional needs. While they each think they love the other person, it is really themselves that they love. He wants his needs satisfied, and she wants her needs satisfied. George Bernard Shaw, who was the famous, I think he was an Irish playwright, who I think he died in 19, around 19, late, late 40s or 50s. I know his name because of his famous quote that uh, we don't grow old because we stop playing. But when we stop playing, that's when we grow old. I think he's talking about acting, but I think that applies to so many different things in so many different ways. That's where I know his name from. But the quote that Robert Torsky is talking about is, when two people are under the influence of the most violent, most insane, most elusive, and most transient of passions, they are required to swear that they will really remain in that excited, abnormal, and exhausting condition continuously until death do them part. This is not what marriage vows was meant to be. And it is this misunderstanding of marriage vows that results in disillusionment. It is understandable that a marriage may begin with physical and emotional attraction. However, it needs to grow and mature into something much more compatible with the dignity and the uniqueness of a human being. I sort of, I guess you could say the example that I think of is sort of planting a seed that you want to grow into a gourd or a squash plant. At the beginning, it's very simple. I just put it in and just let let the momentum go. As time goes on, there's more work that's needed. Taking care of the plant, making sure it's properly nourished and taken care of and watered and the vines are growing properly. And then when when the vegetable finally comes... How is that working? How is that going to be something that's going to be able to grow bigger and more? In a spiritual marriage, each partner wants to maximize the other partner's happiness rather than his or her own. So the example that I was just saying, when a person just gives up after a while and says, nah, I really don't want this. It's sort of like kids when they first get goldfish from the carnival. Sometimes they'll be so into it and they'll take care of it and we'll grow old and we'll be able, you know, we'll have fish for generations. Uh, maybe it'll grow up to be the size of the fishbowl and maybe we can cook it if, if you know, the, the situation. I'm just saying that because I know kids have talked about some of the stuff like that in the past. My kids have at least. But the concept of being involved with something and sticking to it, at the beginning there is that honeymoon stage. But what's happening as time goes on? But says Dr. Torsky, in a spiritual marriage... Each partner wants to maximize the other partner's happiness rather than his or her own. There is such marriages. I was fortunate to witness one. My parents' marriage, says Dr. Torsky. Although no physician, although not a physician, my father had an extensive knowledge of medicine. As a rabbi, he made daily visits to hospitalized patients, and over the years of discussing their cases with the doctors, he acquired a fair amount of medical information. When he developed cancer of the pancreas, 
with involvement of the liver. He said to me, chemotherapy doesn't do anything for pancreatic cancer, does it? I replied that it does not. Then there is no point in suffering all the side effects of chemotherapy if it cannot do any good, is there? I had to agree with that he was right, and I concurred with his decision not to have chemotherapy. However, the doctor told my mother, that's not, there's not much we can do for the rabbi. At best, chemotherapy can get us three more months. My mother told my father, three months? Why, it would be worth it for even three days. Every single day is precious. She insisted, in no uncertain terms, can he undergo chemotherapy. After my mother left the room, my father said to me, I'm sorry that the doctor gave mother the wrong information. I know that it will not extend my life for three months, but if I refuse chemotherapy when I die, mother will say, why didn't I insist on it? If I had insisted on it, he would still be alive, and she would feel guilty for not insisting. I do not want her to feel guilty, so I will take chemotherapy. My father paused, then added, I've done many things for mother during our 52 years. Wow. This gives me a chance to do one last thing. This is a spiritual marriage. True love is self-fulfilling rather than selfish. And self-fulfilling is by giving over to someone else, giving back to to someone that you can share your life with. I'm reminded of a story that they asked a a big rabbi's wife when she uh, was sitting shiva, which is the seven days after after the burial of the loved one. What was your secret? How did you guys last so long? And how, how was your marriage in general? So she said, during our first week of marriage, we made a deal. My husband said to me, we're going to get into arguments. It's going to happen. There's going to be situations where I, want, I think I'm right and you think you're right. And there's going to be situations where you think you're right and I think I'm right. So there's going to be times we're going to have disagreements. Instead of fighting, let's take turns. This time, you get your way, even though I don't agree. And the next time, I'll get my way. Therefore, we'll never fight, because we'll always be giving in to each other. Said the widowed lady, I'm still waiting for my turn to give in to him after 50 plus years of marriage. Now that's a giving relationship. That's how a person is able to go ahead and give over to someone else. Constantly wanting to have growth. That's a spiritual connection and a spiritual marriage. And like Dr. Torsky is saying, true love is self-fulfilling rather than selfish. True love is, cons- is consideration for another person and doing the utmost to make the other person happier. True love is uniquely human. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. This has been an amazing journey, getting some really good feedback. I'd love to hear from you. Please reach out at koshercounseling at gmail.com.